All right, everybody, welcome back. We're going to get into chapter 17 of Judges. In the last chapter, we talked about Samson's disgrace and death. I got to admit that that chapter, <laughs> it, it hit Samson's story between Judges 14 and 16. It, uh, it hit a personal spot for me. So I went back and listened to that episode. <clears throat> could definitely hear my voice crack in that one. Sometimes the scripture does that to you. Sometimes it touches a very personal space in your life, and that is exactly how the Holy Spirit intended it to be. <clears throat> so, G. Campbell Morgan on Judges chapter 17 through 21, the events here recorded must have taken place closely following the death of Joshua. They give us a picture of the internal condition of the people, and it is probably um, that they were added with that intention by the historian. All right, so so we're going to talk about confusion in the land. The events described in chapter 17 through 21 apparently took place earlier in the period of Judges, most likely prior to the 40-year rule of the Philistines, right? The movements of the tribe of Dan would have been difficult, and the war against Benjamin in the forthcoming chapters impossible if the Philistines had been in charge during that time. The writer apparently departed from historical chronological uh, chronology and put these events together as an appendix to the uh, book to dramatize just how wicked and confused the people had become. So in three major areas of life, there was rampant confusion. There was confusion in the home, the ministry, and the national order itself. God has established three institutions in society, the home, the human government, and the worshiping community, Israel under the old covenant, and the church under the new covenant, right? The first of these, in both time and significance, is the home, because the home is the basis for society. And when God wedded Adam and Eve in the garden, he laid the foundation for the social institutions humanity would build. When that foundation crumbles, society begins to fall apart. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Psalm 11, verse 3. Right, And all through history, when the family unit breaks down, so does the empire. And look what is happening in America today. There is a direct attack on the family unit. All right, let's take verses 1 and 2. Micah makes a shrine for idols, and he returns a large amount of stolen silver to his mother. Now there was a man from the mountains of Ephraim whose name was Micah, and he said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you, and on which you put a curse, even saying it in my ears, Here is the silver with me, I took it. And his mother said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my son. Right. And so now there was a man. Judges seventeen eighteen present a detailed example of the spiritual confusion and sin in Israel during the days of the judges. These two chapters are going to show us just how bad things were. So Micah, from the tribe of Ephraim, stole 1,100 shekels of silver from his mother, and then he returned them. His mother blessed her son for returning the money, even though he had originally taken it. This account reveals a lot about the character of Micah, his mother, and the general spiritual state of Israel during this period. Judges chapter 17 verse 10 will indicate that 10 shekels a year was an adequate wage. Therefore, 1,100 shekels was a great fortune, right? So the Micah, the name Micah means who is like Jehovah. 
But this man certainly didn't live to honor the Lord. It is ironic that a man named Micah should establish an apostate shrine with an unlawful priesthood. He had a family in verse 5, although nothing is said about his wife. And we get the impression that his mother lived with him and that she was wealthy, right? Somebody had stolen 1,100 shekels of silver from mother and she pronounced a curse on the thief, not knowing that she was cursing her own son. These 1,100 silver shekels are not to be confused with the 1,100 silver shekels that each of the Philistine rulers gave Delilah in chapter 16, verses 5 and 18. Okay? So the mother obviously joyfully neutralized the curse by blessing her son, and it was the fear of the curse, not the fear of the Lord, that motivated the son to confess his crime and restore the money. As a reward for such honesty, his mother sought to neutralize her curse with a blessing. So... Let's take verses 3 and 4. Micah's mother directs that some of the money be used to make an image to be used in worship. Uh Uh-oh. So when he had returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, his mother said, I had wholly dedicated the silver from my hand to the Lord for my son to make a carved image, a molded image. Now, therefore, and I will return it to you. Thus, he returned the silver to his mother. And then his mother took 200 shekels of silver, gave them to the silversmith, and he made it into a carved image and molded image. And they were in the house of Micah. So some believe that this was an image of a false god, such as Baal or Ashtoreth, and others believe that it was an image representing Yahweh or, you know, God. Either way, God strictly forbade such an image, whether it was meant to represent a true God or not. The gold calf that Aaron made was actually meant to represent Yahweh in Exodus 32, verses 4 and 5. But this violated the second commandment, which says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 and 5 so by his fallen nature man wants to make god into his image many religious people carve their own concept of god and assume that this is the god of the bible right it takes effort to understand and accept the god of the bible the sense of this passage is that micah did all this easily It wasn't hard to have an idol made in Israel during this time. This shows how Israel's society was bent towards idolatry, right? It just went to the shop and had it done. Uh, Her subsequent consecration of the silver to the Lord to make a carved image was in disobedient to the command in Exodus chapter 20 verse 4 and reflects the idolatrous Canaanite influence on the Israelites during this period. The phrase, a carved image or cast idol, suggests two objects of false worship. An image carved out of stone or wood and a cast idol made out of melted uh, metal poured into a mold. But some scholars will think that the phrase uh, is a hinnides, referring to one molded image, or perhaps a wooden idol overlaid with silver which Micah's mother had made and placed in the house. However, Judges chapter 18, verse 18, the objects are clearly distinct. Right. So in gratitude for the return of the money, she dedicated part of the silver to the Lord and made an idol out of it. And Micah's mother paid a silversmith 200 silver uh, shekels, equivalent to a several thousand dollars, <clears throat> to make those objects of worship. 
All right, verse 5, Micah is going to establish an elaborate worship. The man Micah had a shrine and made an ephod in household idols, and he consecrated one of his sons who became his priest. All right, so first, Micah first sets up a shrine, sort of a small temple, a place where others came to worship these idols. And Micah imitated the worship at the true tabernacle of God by making an ephod. And this was a specific garment worn by priests of Israel. In addition to this first idol, Micah also made a household idols, literally teraphim. These are gods that were worshipped in hopes of gaining prosperity and guidance. And finally, Micah established an order of priesthood among his own sons. In each of these, Micah did everything he could to set up a rival religion in Israel. And all of this came from Micah and not from God. This was completely man-originated and man-centered religion. And that's prevalent in the Christian community today. Therefore, the purpose of the shrine, the beautiful ephod, the attractive idols, the established priesthood was to serve and please man, not God. This pattern of man-pleasing religion continues to be common with many religions and churches today. So these were not the only idols in Micah's aberrant shrine, uh, for he had an ephod, possibly as an object of worship in chapter 8, verses 24 through 27, or for a priest to wear, and some idols, right, the teraphim in Genesis, that's a throwback to Genesis 31, verses 17 through 50. And then he installed one on his sons as a, as a priest to conduct worship in the shrine. Later, Micah installed another priest in verse 12. Let's take verse 6, a summarization of the spiritual state of Israel during the time of Judges. In those days where there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Right? So there was, in fact, a king in Israel. Israel should have recognized the Lord God as their king. But since Israel rejected God as king, they were without any good and effective leadership. And this refers to the radical individualism that marked the time of the Judges. People looked to self for their guide to morality and ethics. The people genuinely felt what they did was right, but they measured it only by their own eyes. This is very much like the modern follow your heart or let your heart be your guide thinking. Modern culture regards this as the ideal state of society. Yet the Bible and common sense tell us that this kind of moral, spiritual, and social anarchy brings nothing but destruction. And look at the statistics today. Over 84 social metrics have declined since the 1960s. It seemed right to the eyes of Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit, but God said it was wrong. It seemed right to the eyes of the sons of Jacob to sell Joseph into slavery, but God said it was wrong. It seemed right to the eyes of Nadab and Abihu to offer strange fire before the Lord, but God said it was wrong. It seemed right to the eyes of King David to commit adultery with Bathsheba and cover it with murder, but again, God said it was wrong. And it seemed right to the eyes of Judas to betray Jesus, but God said it was wrong. Right? There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. When a man follows his own instincts, apart from the redeemed nature of the converted person, it leads to ruin. We need to follow God's way, not our own. So have you ever seen a family more spiritually and morally confused than this one? They managed to break almost all, at least seven, out of the Ten Commandments here in Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, and yet not feel the least bit guilty before the Lord, right? In fact, they thought that they were serving the Lord by the bizarre things that they did. The son didn't honor his mother. Instead, he stole from her, and then he lied about it. First, he coveted the silver, and then he took it, according to Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Covetousness is idolatry. 
story. Then he lied about the whole enterprise until the curse scared him into confessing. Thus, he broke the fifth, eighth, ninth, and tenth commandments. And he broke the first and second commandment by having a shrine of false gods in his home. And according to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9, when he stole the silver, he broke the third commandment, and he took the name of the Lord the name in vain. <clears throat> so breaking seven of the ten commandments without leaving your own home is quite the achievement. And the man's mother broke the first two commandments by making an idol and encouraging her son to maintain a private shrine in his home. According to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 1 through 14, there was to be but one place of worship in Israel, and the people were not permitted to have their own private shrines. Furthermore, Micah's mother didn't really deal with her son's sins. His character certainly didn't improve by the way she handled the matter, right? But was, was she... Uh, but she was a corrupt person herself, so what else could he expect, right? So Micah not only had a private shrine, but he did, he ordained his own son as a priest. And Micah knew that the Lord had appointed the family of Aaron to be the only priest in Israel. And if anyone outside of Aaron's family served as priests, they were to be killed in Numbers chapter 3, verse 10. So because Micah and his family didn't submit to the authority of God's word, their home was a place of religious and moral confusion. But their home was a good deal like many homes today where money is the god of family worships, where children steal from their parents and lie about what they do, where family honor is unknown and where the true God is unwanted. All right, verses 7 and 8. We're going to look at an opportunistic Levite looking for employment. Now there was a young man in Bethlehem in Judah of the family of Judah, and he was a Levite, and he was staying there. The man departed from the city of Bethlehem and Judah to stay wherever he could find a place. Then he came to the mountains of Ephraim to the house of Micah as he journeyed. This man as a Levite had cities to live in and a place established by God for him to minister. Instead, he wanted to do what was right in his own eyes and went about offering himself as a priest for hire wherever he could find a place. So he went to the house of Micah. This explains how this particular Levite and the previously mentioned Micah crossed paths. So a young Levite named Jonathan in chapter 18 verse 30 had been living in Bethlehem of Judah, which was not one of the cities assigned to the priests and the Levites in Joshua 21 and Numbers 35. In chapter 18 verse 30, Jonathan is a Levite identified as the son of Gershom, the son of Manasseh, which is impossible since Gershom was the son of Moses and didn't belong to the tribe of Manasseh. In Exodus chapter 2 verse 22 and 1 Chronicles chapter 23 verses 14 and 15, a Levite would come from the tribe of Levi. In addition of the letter N, or none in the Hebrew, to the name of Moses, it would change it to Manasseh. In the Hebrew original, the none is found above the line, showing that the letter was added to the text later. So, some Hebrew scholars believe that a scribe, zealous to protect the good name of Moses, changed the text so that there wouldn't be an idolater in Moses' family. If so, the scribe apparently forgot about Aaron, right? And he was probably there because the people of Israel weren't supporting the tabernacle and its ministry with their tithes and offerings as God commanded them to do back in Numbers chapter 18 verses 21 through 32, Deuteronomy chapter 14 verses 28 and 29, and chapter 26 verses 12 through 15. So why live in one of the Levitical cities if you're going to starve, right? When God's people grow indifferent to spiritual things, one of the first evidences of their apathy is a decline in their giving to the work of the Lord. As a result, everybody suffers. All right, let's take verses 9 through 11. Micah hires the Levite. And Micah said to him, where do you come from? So he said to him, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm on my way to find a place to stay. 
And Micah said to him, Dwell with me, and be a father and a priest to me, and I will give you ten shekels of silver per year, a suit of clothes, and your sustenance. So the Levite went in. Then the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. So Micah wanted this Levite to stay with him to work as a priest for him. He did this because he wanted to legitimize his personal shrine by having it officially recognized um, priest working there, right? A Levite. Deep down, he knew that his idolatry was false and meaningless, and he hoped that this would make it legitimate. So men crave for a priest. Be my priest, say for me to God what I cannot say. The sacrifices offered by thy hands are more likely to avail with him than those rendered by mine. Right. So for ten shekels and a suit of clothes, the Levite hired himself out to the idolatry of Micah. The Levite is a perfect example of a hireling, someone who served God or an idol for what it could give them instead of serving to glorify the Lord. There are many different ways that hirelings get what they want. The monetary hireling is obvious, but there are also emotional hirelings who get into the ministry because of their insecurities and their need for approval. The arrangements seemed perfect to everyone, and Micah felt that he had gained a son. Micah was attempting to maintain his relationship with God by violating the commands of God. The Levite degenerated into an attempt to secure his own material comfort by compromise. All right. So instead of seeking the mind of the Lord, Jonathan set out to find a place to live and work, even if it meant abandoning his calling as a servant of God. The nation was a low ebb... um, spiritually and he could have done something to help bring the people back to God. He was only one man, but that's all God needs to begin a great work that can make a difference in the history of a nation. Instead of being available to God, Jonathan was agreeable only to men, and he eventually found himself a comfortable home and a job with Micah. If Jonathan is typical of God's servants in that period of history, it is no wonder the nation of Israel was confused and corrupt. He had no appreciation for his high calling as a Levite, a chosen servant of God. And they were to assist the priests in their ministries in Numbers chapter 3, verses 6 through 13, and chapter 8, verses 17 through 18. They were to teach the law to the people in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 7 and 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 17, verses 7 through 9, and chapter 35, verse 3, and be involved in the sacred music and praises of Israel, 1 Chronicles chapter 23, verses 28 through 32, and Ezra chapter 3, verse 10. So, Jonathan gave up all, gave all that up for comfort and security in the home of an idolater. He was a hireling and not a true shepherd. Right? See Judges chapter 18 verse 4 and John chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. He didn't serve the true and living God. He worked for Micah and his idols. So Jonathan wasn't a spokesperson for the Lord. He gave people just the message they wanted to hear in Judges chapter 18 verse 6. When he was offered a place involving more money, more people, and more prestige, he took it immediately and gave thanks for it in verse 19. And then he assisted his new employers in stealing his former employer's gods. Whenever the church has a hireling ministry, it can't enjoy the blessing of God. The church needs true and faithful shepherds who work for the Lord, not for personal gain, and who will stay with the flock to feed and protect them. True shepherds don't see their work as a career and run off to do a better job when the opportunity comes. They stay where God puts them and don't move until he sends them. True shepherds receive their calling and authority from God, not from people. Galatians chapter 1 verse 6, and they honor the true God, not the idols that people make. It must grieve the Lord today to see people worshiping the idols of ministerial uh, success, statistics, buildings, and reputation, right? 
Alright, let's take verses 12 through 13. You're going to get a false consecration and a false confidence. So Micah consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in the house of Micah. And then Micah said, And now I know that the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as a priest. So Micah's consecration meant nothing at all. He had no authority from God to declare a renegade Levite as set apart or consecrated by God to the service of this idolatrous shrine. In this tragic account, each person is guilty of terrible sin. Yet, we could say that the Levite was more guilty than Micah was. We can say this because the Levite was at least supposed to know the word of God. So Micah's confidence was just as false as his consecration was. And they were both both based on superstition, not on God's word. And we can say Micah was utterly sincere, but totally wrong. Sincere is nice, but it gets you nowhere if it is not coupled with truth. A person who sincerely thinks they can swim across the Pacific Ocean will drown just as surely as the person who isn't as sincere. Okay? <laughs> so, the sad part of the story is that Micah now thought that he had a favor of God because a genuine Levitical priest was now serving as his private chaplain, when in fact it was forbidden in the law. See Numbers chapter 3, verse 10. Micah practiced a false religion and worshipped false gods, with Jehovah thrown in for good measure. And all the while, he rested on the false confidence that God was blessing him. Little did he realize that the day would come when his priests and his gods would be taken from him, and nothing would be left of his religion. The Levite, of course, was as much or more to blame for having accepted the position. These acts of disobedience to God's law were typical of the Israelites in the time of the judges. And that ties up chapter 17. We will continue on with the same topic in chapter 18. Thank you for joining me.